Morales, and I'm an assistant news editor for the Massachusetts Daily Collegian, the only student-run print and online newspaper here on the UMass campus serving the community since 1890, and this is the official podcast for the new section of the Collegian called the Collegian News Hour. We are recording today's episode on Sunday, December 8th, but this, like every installment of our podcast, will be released at 8 o'clock every Tuesday morning on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. So you're in the studio with me to recap the stories we have covered over the past week. Are the rest of the news team, if you want to introduce yourselves. I'm Chris McLaughlin, an assistant news editor. I'm Catherine Eston, an assistant news editor. I'm Cassie McGrath, an assistant news editor. And um, so we also have uh, a new assistant news editor, if you want to introduce yourself. I'm Sophia Gardner. For, uh, so for this week, it's our last episode of the semester, but we had a pretty huge week mm-hmm. this past week. So for the first story, um, kind of a culmination of something the Collegian has been reporting on for the last uh, couple months. So Timmy Sullivan was uh, was impeached. So um, uh, Catherine and Sophie, you guys both cover that if you want to talk about that. Uh, sure. So I can start and then we'll switch over. Uh, so Timmy Sullivan is the student government president. Uh, he's in his second term right now. And a few months ago, they started an investigation after over 100 students signed a petition. Um, so that was in early October. Uh, so a subcommittee's been investigating. They had about a month to investigate. Uh, and they decided to send uh, impeachment charges, articles of impeachment, to the SGA Senate. Uh, in a five-hour-long meeting, which we can get into with this article, uh, they did ultimately decide in a 38-13 to 13 vote to impeach Timmy Sullivan. And it is the first known presidential impeachment in SGA history. Right, so they needed a two-thirds of the Senate vote um, in favor of impeachment, which they got... Um, which is a pretty big portion of the Senate, which is agreeing to impeach their president. And also, he over-reported over $1,000 in SGA funds that he reallocated to himself, which was essentially the main reason for impeachment. There was also some broken bylaws that contributed to his impeachment. So um, to get into, like, I guess, the actual meeting, um, I know the the meeting was very long. It was five hours. I guess, um, what was it like? Um, kind of at the meeting? Well, it was really tense. I, We were sitting directly behind Timmy Sullivan, so we could kind of see his reaction to all of the allegations, and it was just very sort of an uncomfortable environment because the Senate was so divided on how they were feeling about the impeachment, and some people would be coming over to comfort Timmy, and it was just, it was a awkward space to be in. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely don't envy Timmy for having to sit through that uh, because some people definitely took a more political stance. Uh, You know, there were people that went and said, you know, regardless of how I felt about the election, regardless of my relationship with the executive, you know, I'm looking at the bylaws and trying to figure out if those were broken. Uh, But then members of the public or other senators did come to that meeting uh, and brought up their issues with the administration that weren't necessarily relevant to the articles. So regardless of what happened, I didn't really have envy the president for having to sit through that. So before like the actual vote, did you kind of sense what way they were going to go, or was that like hard to tell? Uh, there was one point they decided to open debate. Uh, so debate in the Senate means they have two podiums. If you're in support of whatever they're voting on, you go to one. And if you're against, you go to the other and you can state your opinion. Uh, and at that point, I think it was five or six people went up to vote against the Articles of Impeachment and to defend Timmy. It's probably about 15 people went up to vote in favor of the articles. And it, it was at that point that I figured, you know, this probably isn't going to go in his favor. Also earlier in um, the meeting, I remember at one point, one of the members of the subcommittee 
um, got up and made a comment, and afterwards most of the Senate clapped for her, and that kind of indicated that they were going to vote against Timmy. You guys have done a great job following this story, um, and I think so throughout the last week, a lot of people have come up to me. I don't know if the same has happened with you guys and been like, so like, that's crazy. Like, what's going on? Like, asking questions. Um, and I think you guys did a good job of clarifying a lot of this, but maybe um, we could talk about like, what are some things you think people are misunderstood about? Like, did he get the approval from his advisor to pay himself more than was originally lauded for his role as president? Um, like, which bylaws did he break specifically? Just for clarification reason? Sure, there's definitely been misunderstandings. I feel like some people just hear a rumor it goes around or they hear something that was in the original petition that wasn't part of the investigation or that was dismissed by the investigation. So the articles of impeachment had two articles. Uh, the first was Timmy Sullivan was supposed to submit a nominee for vice president to the Senate within 30 days, uh, and he did not do that. He waited until he was reelected to appoint uh, Hayden Latimer Ireland, who is his running mate. And then the second article was also about vacancies in two cabinet positions. So he chose not to fill uh, the positions of Secretary of Technology and Chief of Staff. And for Secretary of Technology, he wasn't allowed to do that. And regarding the money, he did go to his advisor. The advisor said that she advised against uh, raising his funds. But it was kind of still in debate of how, who controls who gets paid, because the president is actually in charge of payroll but he should have reported it to the Senate, is what was decided. Yeah, there were a lot of um, things that we needed to double check with this article because um, a lot of, there were a lot of contradicting like sources, like Timmy would say one thing in one meeting and then give a different answer in another meeting. So by the time we finished this article, we really had to make sure that all of the facts were like the final facts and that we double checked everything. And then another point of confusion um, is that a lot of people keep saying um, that the money that Timmy Sullivan paid himself would have come back to RSOs in the student body. Um, can you guys make a comment about that? Uh, so according to the bylaws, that is technically true. Any money that isn't spent by the SGA uh, does go back into this general fund for all student groups. Um, the same would happen with any other student group if they don't spend their full budget. And I, I think that's something that's really upsetting a lot of people is because they made that connection of this is money that could have gone to an RSO. This past year, a lot of RSOs had their budget cuts, and that's something that feels very personal to students, especially ones who didn't realize this position had a budget or had you know money being paid towards them because there's a lot of student groups that don't have paid positions. How do you see the SGA recovering from this? I think it's really just a process of first we need to see what happens once Timmy is removed from office, if they do remove him from office, and then take it from there. So the Speaker Ellis will become the new president. And I think that that will be a good thing for the SGA to recover because she's very level-headed and she seems like a very responsible person for that position. So I think that that will really help them in recovering from this. Yeah, and I think right now it is a big if. Uh, when we talk to the leader of the judiciary after, they said that since this has never happened, they don't exactly have a process for removal. And I'd be curious to see what happens to almost the culture of the SGA. Last year, we saw a lot of resignations. People said that they weren't happy there, that it's a toxic environment. And I wonder 
you know, would the relationship between the executive and legislature improve? And one of the people I did talk to who's on the subcommittee said, you know, afterwards it's going to be very messy. It's going to be very hectic. Uh, he predicted that there were going to be some people in the cabinet who resigned, other people in the cabinet who stayed but had bad relationships with the Senate because they didn't want to be removed. Uh, but they believe that in the long run, they think the SJ can more effectively serve students uh, if they're not so focused on the investigation. So, like, one thing is, um, is this going to be, like, a quick process? Like, do you think, like, this is going to happen, like, before the end of the semester? Or is this going to kind of go on into, like, the next semester? Yeah, so they really don't know at this point. When we spoke to the Chief Justice, she we asked if they had a timeline planned out, and she essentially said, like, at this point, we just don't know what the timeline is because this has never happened before. So we're really just, right now, they're working to figure out what that timeline is going to look like. But at the current moment, or Wednesday when we spoke to her, they really did not know what was going to happen. Um, yeah, so I was looking through the SGA bylaws. I'm still looking to see if there is a specific rule in there somewhere. Um, I think right now a lot of the senators are going by a rule that says the judiciary has 90 days to respond to any case they're given. Whether this is considered a case is also for debate, but then that 90 days would be into next semester. So I think um, also back to your, you know, the points you had mentioned about, um, you know, if the like relationship between like the executive and the Senate would improve. I think one of the issues right now I think is President Sullivan has like a lot of, a lot of maybe baggage on him from you know the election um, and now and now this that having maybe like a new president as like a blank slate almost could kind of help improve those like relations I guess yeah I mean I think everyone throughout the investigation process that was involved in it said you know this has nothing to do with the election you know we're not relitigating that uh, but I at least got the feeling that the hearing kind of was still about the election um, because some of the candidates who would run against Timmy Sullivan showed up. Uh, they made comments. They spoke out against him. I'm trying to remember it now. I think it might have been both the people that ran against him were there, and yeah, they both went so. up to speak and said that he should be impeached. Now, I'm not saying that they didn't read the articles. I'm not saying that they didn't do their research. I'm more just saying that it gave off that appearance, at least, that some element of the election was still present at that meeting. Yeah, with Timmy Sullivan, there's just been a lot of controversy throughout his whole presidency and his election and I think that even if people are treating this investigation as a separate thing it's hard to get away from kind of the stigmas and controversy around him so I think that having a new president will help the SGA to just focus on maybe more helping the student body and less of its own conflicts. So I do find it interesting who's paying attention to this story on campus, uh, because I think Timmy Sullivan is a very polarizing figure. People who are aware of the SGA either really love him or are really mad at him right now. Uh, but then I've also run into students that have no idea what's going on. Um, I was talking about it in a class because a few people had noticed my name on the article and were asking me uh, you know, questions about the meeting. Then one person in the room said, oh, I didn't know we had a student government. Who's Timmy Sullivan? Kind of just sitting there for a second thinking, you know, I've been so wrapped up in this all semester, and Sophie, so have you, that then for somebody to say that they had no idea this was going on, and say, oh, yeah, right, this doesn't, it affects everyone on campus, but it doesn't impact everyone that they pay attention to it. 
What do you guys think about the coincidental timing of the SGA impeachment and the federal level impeachment? I just, they're not related, but I feel like there's the general talk of impeachment. Do you think that maybe played a factor in some way? Yeah, someone on Twitter, I forget who, but they tweeted at me and Catherine and they said, such a great, they said like such a great article reminds me of what's happening on a national level. And I just think that it's kind of drawing even more attention to Timmy's impeachment because everyone's already talking about impeachment and just to have it happening on a university level at the same time is very coincidental and it's really putting an emphasis on the impeachment right now. Yeah, and I would say national politics were mentioned at the meeting. Um, I think Timmy actually mentioned it saying, you know, with what's going on nationally, you know, that's definitely clouding his thoughts influencing how he's talking about it but people talked about the clinton impeachment i think somebody mentioned richard nixon at one point but i at least thought it was funny because at one point i was about to retweet um anna petrovich one of our op-ed assistant editors uh was live tweeting the whole meeting and i was going to put hashtag impeachment inquiry because i saw it was trending and i sat up for a second and i was like oh right no there's another impeachment going on somewhere else um, so i think it's definitely brought more attention to the story but yeah, it's also been just very interesting to watch everyone's so focused on this one down in dc but there's one happening right next door yeah i mean i guess it'll be interesting if he is removed from office that that's something we'll pay attention to into next semester of how does the sj handle that and what precedent does that set for future presidents cool so look out for coverage on that yeah. cool so um so for our next story um another huge story this week this was um about a removal of a umass professor and uh this was written by uh, Chris Cassie and also uh, Irina, who um, wasn't able to make it to the podcast today. But um, do you guys want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah. So this was a pretty big story that um, it first developed right before Thanksgiving break. Um, there's a professor. She's technically a senior lecturer in the Eisenberg School of Management. Uh, she teaches accounting and she's been here since like 2006. So she's been here for well over a decade um, very respected professor. Um, apparently, everyone in Eisenberg has to take her accounting 221 class. So if you've been an Eisenberg student in the last decade or so, more likely than not, you've had Kat Lowry as your professor for accounting 221. Um, and so she's very well known. Um, and she does this project at the end of every semester where it's an extra credit video project. And she has her students make these videos where they, it's usually in the form of a parody. Um, they come up with some sort of creative way to use the course content in a video format, whether that's like a parody music video, a parody from a TV show or movie scene. And usually they're just meant for like entertainment purposes and the class ranks them at the end of the semester and the videos that get the most well-ranked um, get the most points back in the end. And a lot of people say that's how they did well in the class because it's a tough class. The class material can be kind of boring. So a lot of people really enjoyed the extra credit projects. But the problem that arose was that um, Lowry showed some examples of past videos that did successful in the class. And one of those videos, which is a decade old, it was made in 2009, is a parody video from the German film Downfall, which was actually nominated for Best Foreign Language Film back in 2004. But there's a scene in there where Adolf Hitler, um, the dictator of Nazi Germany, the 
actor who plays him goes off on this like rage-induced tirade at other Nazi officials in a Berlin bunker at the end of World War II. And it was, at the time, back a decade ago, fodder for a lot of parody memes and parody videos. And so these students who were in Lowry's class 10 years ago, they basically took that format, put in accounting references, and submitted that as their extra credit video. And she showed that in class. But there was one particular line that really got to people about, um, it was a joke about gas chambers. And that really divided um, public opinion on the matter. And there was a separate video that was made more recently, which was a parody of the sound of the of the song, I should say, "Bust Down Tatiana," which was deemed derogatory towards women, allegedly, by some people. So, um, you have these two controversial videos of sorts um, being played in class, and the administration came in, I guess, after they were tipped off anonymously, and she was asked to step away from her classes for the remainder of the semester, and that got people. It really did get people talking because some people didn't think it was fair. Other people thought maybe she deserved to be asked to step away from her classes for the rest of the semester. So we talked to folks and we got their opinions on it and we got some feedback. And the article actually kind of went a little viral in a way. Other outlets actually picked it up. So, um, yeah, what are your guys' thoughts on what happened? What's interesting with this story is that a lot of students on campus have had Professor Lowry, um, whether or not they're in Eisenberg since the class required, or if they're doing like a business minor, anything like that. And there are so many mixed responses um, to this situation. Um, and so I think that like a great way to judge it is going on, um, watching her online lectures and like seeing how um, in class it was handled because she posts that all online. And that's something that I think would kind of allow people to understand, like, exactly what it was like to be in the class at that time. And so what I'm now hearing a lot of is that students are feeling as though the school responds to um, discriminatory language when they're confronted with it and unable to avoid it. And so uh, some of the people we talked to I've talked to since were like, well, why didn't they do anything about Melville, which is one of the students we interviewed, and um, why don't they do anything about other hate crimes on campus, that specifically like one we had this semester. So kind of coming to terms with the fact that maybe the school is doing what they need to do with this professor, but it's kind of also a call for action in hopes that they do more in these types of situations. Um, I know that a lot of students that I spoke to were upset because they were like, these videos provide so many extra credit points. Like, that's what got me through her class. A lot of other people wouldn't do that. A lot of other students were like, oh, but it was funny. Everyone was laughing. But where do you draw that line? And if students are uncomfortable, I think it shouldn't be allowed. But also, like, there are students we spoke to that haven't been back to class since the new professor replaced Professor Lowry. So how productive is their learning at this point? And overall, I'd say the whole campus is, like, pretty much buzzing about this. And, you know, I really hope that the students still get something out of their class and that at the end of the day, like, the school begins to handle situations like this more seriously. Uh, so I was kind of curious. So the downfall Hitler video was 10 years old? It was. It was made in 2009. 
So has it been shown for the past 20 semesters? From what I heard from students, it may not be every semester she showed it, but I think it's definitely been shown before in the past, and it never received this much attention as it did now. And when you spoke to past students, did any of them seem bothered by it, think it shouldn't be shown? Or do you know if any other complaints have been put in the past against this professor? From who I talked to, I did not get a sense that she was ever a problematic professor before this. Um, some people did say that she did involve herself in student music videos and or parody videos in the past. And there's some questionable stuff in there in the sense like, like I think for the video that was pulled, the bust down Tatiana video, someone said like she was in the video and her students were kind of they're throwing dollar bills at her kind of what that implies is fairly straightforward in the sense that maybe that's something a professor shouldn't be doing with her students in a video even if it is for comedic purposes right like what who determines what's appropriate and you know is it up to the students Uh, at what point does the professor draw the line but do you think this was the right reaction from the university? Do you think more should have done, or should they have done something? I think one of the people you interviewed, I don't remember if this ended up in the article or whether it was just something we talked about in the office, was that someone suggested they should have let her finish out this semester and kind of done a slap on the wrist, maybe cut her class load for next semester, or required her to vi- issue an official apology. Yeah, so she did send out an email apology to the class immediately after, um... And that is in the article where she basically explains, I regret showing this. Um, I'm not going to do this video project any longer. But I think in general, the stance that I saw most often was that should she have shown this video, maybe should she have second guessed showing this video? Yes. You know, for safety's sake, it may have been best not to show the video at all, but she did show it. And whether you found it offensive or whether you thought it was comedic, I think that the administration could have handled this a lot better rather than simply removed her from her classes. If it was a more, they went to her and said, hey, what you're doing or what you did isn't okay. Like, we understand it's a mistake. We understand you're apologizing. Don't do it again. And because she is, she's been here for a while. Everyone, it's not like she's new and she has shown it in the past, but it's not like she's done anything else to warrant this kind of removal from her position. So I think the course of action should have been more of a dialogue and more open about things rather than just simply taking her away from her job. My big takeaway, both from reading your article and from what I've heard around campus, A lot of people just want Eisenberg to be more open about what happened uh, because it doesn't, you know, the university's response is, you know, this was an internal decision that was made at the Eisenberg School of Management. Uh, And then the dean involved and other professors in the department have kind of been closed-lipped about the whole incident. So I I think that's what I definitely want to know more about is, you know, is this always the decision that would be made or was this a specific incident and there's more factors we don't know about? I'm kind of wondering if the hate crime that took place on October 30th, where five swastikas were drawn on the outside of the Fine Arts Center, I think, if that could help explain why such attention is being brought to this video right now, as opposed to 
during other semesters when she's shown the same video? Do you think that that could be partly what caused this reaction? I think maybe, like, in conjunction with that hate crime, uh, a lot of people are feeling more concerned about how the university reacts to anti-Semitism. However, I've heard a lot of people say um, that she's been showing it for 10 years. Like, why is it all of a sudden a problem? And that argument, I think, should definitely be, like, cast away from the situation because there could be many students that were insulted by it, but maybe um, 10 years ago didn't really feel comfortable and even if like there's a minority amount of students in the class who feel like they're uncomfortable by the video it's not really it's a university's role to protect those students and i mean professor lowry is the director of diversity and inclusivity so how can she not be aware of hate crimes on campus i feel like that falls under her job description a bit well i do think that a lot of students who have had her and although we tried reaching out to her, we were never able to get in contact with her um, for an interview, say that she is a really good person and she didn't have bad intention. And I've heard that many times from students. But I think we have to draw a fine line in what is professional and not and what is offensive and is not. And if people do find it offensive, it's, it's not their fault. Um, it's the responsibility of the school to make sure that their faculty is making a safe space for students to learn in their classrooms. Yeah, to your point, I think this kind of speaks to a greater issue with the university and kind of responding to these hate crimes where a lot of the time, like we had a lot, you know, last year. And then how you mentioned about the swastikas, um, where there will be an issue, you know, the university might send something out, but nothing really changes. And I think the university kind of has to kind of step in and, and make some changes. I think in this case in particular, like it should be the university's responsibility to like set up training for professors to learn about like like what they should and shouldn't be showing or the university sets up their own guidelines and says like you can't do this or you have to stick to your your subject matter or, or whatever i think that that's what they have to do now and more than just remove the professor for a few weeks and bring her back the next semester or, or whatever they're going to do um, i think there needs to be more like substantive change uh so those were our two real like news stories for this week um we're going to do something a little different. We're planning on making this like a new recurring segment. So um, online on the UMass Library website, they have archives of some of the old uh, editions of the Collegian. So we're thinking of doing a recurring segment every week where we look back on an edition from that same week, but in a different year and kind of look at some of the articles and kind of do almost like a retrospective of the edition. So for this week, we're doing the um, December 11th edition of the Collegian. Uh, this is the first edition after after Pearl Harbor and the U.S. had entered World War II. So um, looking through it, there's a lot of interesting stuff. Um, so yeah, so like in the um, on the front page on the top left corner, it has um, a little blurb about um, about a special convocation that was held at this time. It was the Massachusetts State College. It wasn't UMass yet. That didn't happen until 1947. But um, there was a convocation that was held where. President Baker at the time kind of urged students to, you know, be willing to, you know, give their part in the war. But yeah, was there anything uh, you guys saw that was interesting? And this didn't have to do with Pearl Harbor. I thought that one was really interesting, especially one of the college officials talking about, you know, I was a student here in 1917, and you have to do your studies because that's going to help the country win. Um, but on the same issue, later on another page, uh, I saw a headline that poultry team takes third because I forgot we used to be a very uh, agricultural focused campus. We still have Stockbridge, of course, 
Uh, but we had the Massachusetts State College poultry judging team, and they placed third out of 11 teams at the intercollegiate poultry judging contest that was held at Rutgers that year. And I, I'm curious if we still have one or, if, or when that stopped being a thing. Bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not sure what a poultry judging team would do. I don't know. You just you raise your chickens and then you get judged on them. You know, how feathery they are, how many eggs they lay, maybe. Hmm, I don't know. Is it like a blue ribbon competition, kind of like county fair style? Maybe. But yeah, and then it, back to the World War II things, it talked about uh, alumni who had already enlisted, including some colonels on the same page, and that there was going to be a military ball on campus. It felt very 1940s. Every stereotype I had about that decade was kind of confirmed in reading these three pages. One thing I like thought about while looking at it was obviously like World War II was a massive like historical moment. But like so like when I was thinking that I was thinking it would be like it would just be like all over the paper about like Pearl Harbor. But there's not like there's no major like mention or in a headline or anything about Pearl Harbor. But I think like looking back that kind of makes sense in a way like we don't really like cover national events unless someone comes to speak about it or um there's like a protest or something we don't really cover like you know president trump's impeachment even though that's we're living through history um no matter which way it goes but yeah um also what was interesting we you know we talked earlier about sga there's an article in here about the uh women's sga it's kind of interesting that they like had a gender segregated uh, SGA back then. Um, and in the article, it talks about how they um, set up like a knitting program with the American Red Cross to knit for, um, I think for the for the war, to like support the war and stuff. I wonder so. when they combined the women's SGA and the regular SGA. They used to have, um, I'm taking a class this semester, it's all about the 1960s. And from that class, I've learned that they used to actually have a dean of women and a dean, like a dean of male students and a dean of female students. And then they eventually just became the dean of students. And I think that was like right around that period of like the 60s kind of-ish. So yeah, it's, it's kind of like an evolution of slowly integrating the men, the, se the segregated men's and women's departments for the university into one cohesive kind of what we know today as UMass and we're not gender segregated in any way. So I think that's all the time we have for now. It was great having everyone listen. Tune in next time. And once again, I'm Will Malik. I'm Chris McLaughlin. I'm Catherine Eston. I'm Cassie McGrath. I'm Sophia Gardner. And you've been listening to the Collegian News Hour. Uh, the music for this podcast was created by Joaquin Crude and promoted by Audio Library. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us a rating if you enjoyed today's episode. It really helps us out. So thanks for listening, and we'll be back uh, next semester.